If you have no idea what we are doing or what we are talking about today, then maybe you've been missing out and we want to get you connected to that. Uh, we have on October 19th and 20th a conference that we are putting on. It's the first time we are doing this and we're super excited about it. Um, and as part of that, our goal is to uh, really just help our congregation, help all of us, equip us, provide us with the tools necessary in order to share our faith. And so this is something that we're focused on. We're aiming towards October 19th and 20th. If you missed last week, there is still an opportunity to sign up. We have about 50 slots left. Uh, the way that you would do that is by texting the number 417-815-7161. It's on the screen. Text the word call. Do not put the quotation marks in it. Uh, that's, uh, some people have done that. And so, uh, but if you text call to 815-7161, you will get a link back immediately on your phone that you can click on and sign up and put information in on in order that you might be able to join us on October 19th and 20th. Again, I, I'm saying that we have about 50 slots left. That's maxed out, and after that, we're going to have to turn people down. If you are one of the last 50 to sign up, we will actually give you a free T-shirt. A free T-shirt if you're one of the last 50 to sign up. Um, but make sure to get signed up for that. Put your T-shirt sizes in and join us on October 19th and 20th. That is not this coming Friday and Saturday, but it is the next coming Friday and Saturday. There is no cost for that conference. It is something where we are footing the entire bill because we believe in this. We believe that as we equip, each of us are equipped and, and sharing the gospel individually, that we will be more on mission with what Jesus Christ called us to do, okay? And so I, if you can all at all make it, make sure to sign up. Text called to 417-815-7161. And uh, follow the link and make sure to get signed up for that. We kicked off a series leading up to that conference last week, okay? So, so as part of this, we want to say that what we're trying to do is to provide a pattern um, whereby, first off, it's, it's biblical. The biblical pattern of how we share our faith. Um, and, and we want to provide not just a gimmick. Like, we're not looking to give you a question that you can ask anybody anywhere at any time in order to make them confront their spiritual situation. That's not what we're aiming for. We're not going to give you some brand new, awesome, fresh off the printer uh, uh, tract that you can give to your waiter instead of leaving them a tip. Right? That's not what we're doing here. Instead, what we want to do is say, okay, what does Scripture say about what it looks like to live on mission, and then how do we practically do that? Okay? So that's what we're doing as part of this series. First off, we are providing a biblical pattern of what this looks like. And then at the conference, we're going to handle the practical side of what that looks like in flesh. Okay? And so we're leading up to that with a few weeks based on this um, uh, this direction. So if you would grab your Bibles this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are some that are spread out all across the seats, those little hardback Bibles in your, in your seat right around you. Grab that Bible if you would. If you are, uh, do not own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. We would just love it if you would take that home, have that Bible, use that Bible. If you have one of those Bibles, we're going to be turning to Colossians chapter 4 today, which in those Bibles it'll be like page 900 and 85, 985. So grab that Bible, open it up to the book of Colossians chapter 4. So what we see here is this passage that we are basing this whole thing around. 
Okay, there's like five verses here that what we see is Paul telling us this is what a life that is lived on mission looks like. It's in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 down to 6. Last week we kicked it off when we had a family service. And I want to mention something really quick about our family services. We do it four times a year during our fifth Sundays. And uh, just so you know, I know that that's a hard thing to do, to have kids in with you while you're worshiping, while you're paying attention to the message, while you're giving, all of those things. It makes it a little bit more difficult to have kids along with you. But we believe in that because we believe it's good, okay? And while it's hard, it was hard for me last week to preach a sermon that applied to adults but kept the interest of a five-year-old. That's difficult to do, but we know that anything that's good is also hard. And so as a result, in spite of the fact that it may be hard, in spite of the fact that every fifth Sunday our attendance goes down a little bit, our giving goes down a little bit, we still believe in it enough that we are going to keep on doing it, okay? And so last week, at, with five-year-olds, my son who's five, in here we shared on the first part of this whole series um, Talking about Colossians chapter 4, we covered verses 2 down to 4 last week. I'm going to read it again for you. Here's what it says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so we covered those three verses, two to four, last week, talking about the fact that we have been called to pray. As part of living a life on mission, a big chunk of it is prayer. In fact, we're doing a four-week series, four-week series, and on top of that, we're adding in a conference, all on this one passage, right, from chapter four, verse two, down to verse six. And this part right here is the part that's focused on prayer. This is what we covered last week. Verses 2 to 4 is just about prayer. We go to verse 5 and 6, and here's what that says. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This passage is thick. And it's good. And this passage we're going to spend three weeks on. Okay, just so you see that again. The portion of it that is prayer. Could you go back? This is the prayer portion. And then everything else. Prayer portion. Everything else. Okay, do you get that prayer is more than half the battle? Again, prayer portion everything else so what we talked about last week is this talk to God about people before and more than you talk to people about God and that's not to minimize everything else that's to maximize the portion of it that is prayer we have been called to pray we have been called to pray And that's where we were last week. But we've been called to do more than just pray. We can't just shut ourselves up and just pray. There is more to it than that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So specifically, we're going to just look at verse 5 today. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, 
making the best use of the time. It says, walk in wisdom. We've not only been called to pray, we've been called to wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So here we need to slow down really quick. Slow down really quick. We need to slow down for a moment. And we need to take out our napkins and stick them in our collars. And then we need to pull out a fork and we need to pull, in a, pull out a knife. And we need to feast on this verse just a little bit. Because this is good. Okay, so do that. Let's get prepared. We are going to dive into verse 5. Because if it says we are called to wisdom, if we are supposed to walk in wisdom, we need to know what in the world does that mean? Like, what is the purpose of wisdom? What is the focus of wisdom? What is it aiming towards? Where are we trying to go here? Right? Because sometimes we read, okay, walk in wisdom, and we think that it's saying something that it's not. We need to know where the goal is. And, and there's other passages that talk about this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 10, second part of verse 10, here's what it says. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So sometimes we can read passages like this, and it says, Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, be dependent on no one. And the image that we get is that the purpose of walking in wisdom is to just kind of sneak through this life so that nobody notices us and all those outsiders don't see us. And we sneak all the way through and we never get persecuted. That is not what this is talking about at all. In fact... If your greatest goal in life is to avoid persecution, then you are radically out of line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your greatest goal is to avoid persecution, you are radically out of line with the gospel. Because Jesus said, you will be persecuted. If they've rejected me, they're going to reject you. And so if we're just trying to sneak through and walking with wisdom means that we just kind of make sure that nobody notices us so that we don't, we don't, the outsiders don't see us and persecute us. You are out of line with the gospel. And if you're also one of those people who, who who's, feels like their main goal in life is to call out persecution everywhere they see it, Persecution! persecution. You are radically out of line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know somebody who one time came to me and said, hey, I got fired from a job because I was being persecuted for my faith. But the job they got fired from was a Christian organization. And went, how, how, how does that work? Is it maybe the problem instead that you weren't paying attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12? And is it persecution or is it instead the fact that you're not a good worker? Right? But if that's our goal, to sneak through, then we are not walking in wisdom. Because here's the goal of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 30 says this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. Okay. Whoever captures souls is wise. The goal of wisdom is saving souls. So when you read in here, walking in wisdom, 
is not about sneaking through or making sure we're not noticed and making sure that we're not oppressed or we're not persecuted. That's not the goal of wisdom. The goal of wisdom is saving souls. So when it says walk in wisdom, it's talking about making sure you are living and walking in such a way that it leads to the capture of souls because that's what we've been called to do, okay? Back to verse 5 of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 5, here's what it says. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders. That's a word I don't use very often. <laughs> outsiders. It, it can kind of come across a little offensive, right? Like, that person's an outsider. I've never told somebody, so you're an outsider, right? Like, because that would be not wise. But when Paul uses it, I use it really incredibly sparingly. So does Paul. Paul doesn't use this word very often. In fact, when he uses it, he uses it a very specific way. When Paul says outsiders, you know who he's talking about? People who are outside. (laughs) Told you, we were going to be feasting on this verse today. Outside mean that they're outsiders. For those who are inside, what would that make them? Insiders. Good job, everybody. So we are, because we are inside, that makes us insiders. And for those who are not inside, that would make them outsiders. Okay, very good. So here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that we've drawn a line in the sand and the people who are on the other side of that line are the outsiders. If he were talking about that, he would call them wrongsiders. But he doesn't call them wrongsiders, he calls them outsiders, as in those who are not on the inside. People without insider knowledge, people who do not use insider language, these are people who are outside. And every time Paul talks about people who are outsiders, he uses it in such a way that it's not like wrongsiders. He would have just said wrongsiders. He's not talking about it as if like, he, 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 they're outsiders. He's talking about it with, with like a, a, a side of consideration, of, of understanding, of wait a second, I need to pay attention to what this might look like to somebody who is an outsider. And so when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, He uses the word outsiders. And do you know what he says? He says, man, I'm so glad you operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I do, more than you even. But when you're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, don't go nuts with it. Otherwise, there will be an outsider who will see you and they'll think they're just nuts. He says, what you need to do is take them into consideration. Offer kindness and understanding of what somebody who's not on the inside track might be going through and how they might understand it. And so he says, walk in wisdom. And then he uses the word toward outsiders. If that doesn't say it all to you, that should. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Um, I was talking to somebody this week about Greek uh, because... I know how to have a rock in time. And I was talking about the beauty of the Greek language. And I'm not going to walk you through all of it because nobody cares about it but me and like one other person. And so 
But the thing that's so beautiful about Greek that you don't get in English is that with Greek, the, every word has essentially baked into it its function in the sentence. It's called morphology. Won't go into that because that's insider language. But each word has its own kind of form. And you can see just by looking at the one word what its purpose in, this, in the sentence is. Okay. So what that means is, in the Greek language, you can take a word that may be the subject in front of the verb in English, and you can move it wherever you want in the sentence. And it's not as important where the function is based as much on the location, instead it's based on the word itself. So what that means is this. In Greek, when somebody's writing in Greek, they can move those words around any way they want. You can't do that in English unless you're Yoda. But in Greek, you can and so if you really want to highlight, like, one thing in particular, you can move it to a very specific case or a specific place. Here's what Paul does in this sentence. He says, in wisdom, walk toward outsiders. In wisdom, walk toward outsiders. Why do you think he does that? Maybe because he wants us to walk toward outsiders. Maybe he wants us to live toward outsiders. Maybe he wants us to be intentional toward outsiders. Maybe he wants us to think toward outsiders. Maybe he wants us to live toward outsiders. He wants us to walk literally toward outsiders. The word toward here means toward. But we don't move toward outsiders. In order that you and I might become outsiders, because that's what would happen, right? Like if there's somebody who's outside, and we move toward an outsider, we would be outsiders. But that's not the goal. The goal is to move toward the outsider in order to make the outsider an insider. Right? So essentially he's saying, in wisdom, walk toward an outsider to bring them in. Okay? That's what this is about. So he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And then he continues on and says, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. I have an admission to make. And it's something I've never admitted to anybody. First time I'm going to do it, it's going to be publicly here at Praise Assembly. I haven't even admitted this to Liz. So Liz, I'm sorry you're hearing about this for the very first time on stage at Praise Assembly. I love you. Okay. But the only way I know when there's something that's deep inside of you that's dark and hidden is to bring it out in the light, right? So that's what I'm going to do right now. I bought a minivan, okay? And that's not the dark thing. That, <laughs> that I'm incredibly proud of, right? Like, I, I think minivans are the coolest. Anything you can walk up to and, like, push a button and the door opens on its own, that's, like, right out of Night Rider. I feel like Hasselhoff every time I walk up to the minivan. I love the minivan. Every time I tell Liz I love the minivan, she goes, well, you should drive it. And I say, no, sweetheart, I have a truck. Thank you very much. <laughs> you drive the minivan. But I love the minivan. In fact, um, there was, uh, we have friends who go to praise, and they recently bought a new minivan. And I was in the parking lot last week or the week before, and I saw the minivan for the very first time, and I catcalled it across the parking lot, which looking back on was not the wisest move I've ever done. <laughs> the pastor of the church catcalling across the parking lot, but I was like, ow, ow, 
And I really clearly spelled out. I was catcalling the minivan, not you, okay? And to the husband as well, just spelled all of that out. Because the reason why is I think minivans are the coolest. I just don't want to drive them, but they're the coolest, okay? Here's the part that I've been hiding and holding on to for several years. When we bought the minivan, I bought it at a used car lot which there's nothing wrong with that for those of you who are used car salesmen or own used car lots. Um, we have people in this church who do. And um, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that when we went to the car lot, our SUV had just died. And so we walk onto the car lot, and the used car salesman said, this is our last one. This is all we've got. And there's a guy who just left here, and went up to the bank, and he'll probably be back to buy it. And so I said, that's it, I'll take it. And so we overpaid for the minivan by about $2,500. And Liz came home and looked at KBB, uh, Kelly Blue Book, and she said, hey, Alan, I think we overpaid for the minivan. I said, honey, honey, I'm the man in this family. I know how to buy a car. And I knew from the moment we bought it, oh, we overpaid. We overpaid. But the moment that he said, hey, this is the last one I've got. You better snap it up while you can. Buy it now. It'll be gone. Somebody's going to be driving it off the lot in two minutes, so you better get it. And he had me hook, line, and sinker. And so we overpaid. And I've never admitted that to Liz. This is the very first time we did overpay for the van. I love you. It was my fault. You called it. I'm sorry. But it had a six CD changer inside of it because everybody uses those now, right? Like, anyways. You know, the word that's actually translated here as making the best use of the time is that idea right there. The idea is buy it up while it lasts, redeem it, snap it up now before it's gone. Right? Get it while it lasts. The word here is actually like a, a purchase kind of language. Get it now. Buy it. And, and, and Otherwise, you'll regret it later on. On Friday, Liz and I were driving into town, drop our kids off for school. And we drive by an estate sale on 159. And Liz looked. And I shouldn't have let her look, but she looked. And she saw this beautiful mid-century modern table and chairs. And if you don't know, she's huge into that right now. And so she sees it and she goes, oh, honey, we have to go back. So I drop the kids off and we go back and we stop at this place. And they have this beautiful, and when I say mid-century modern, like the people who owned it bought it new when it was mid-century modern. Like, and, and they've had it for 50, 60 years. And it's in immaculate condition and I'm, I'm like, Liz, we don't have anywhere to put this. And she goes, yeah, I know, but it's really very nice. So I called up my friend, Dean McCall, who also is into mid-century. And I said, hey, man, do you want this? Snap the photos, sent it off to him. He goes, oh, I got nowhere to put it. Dan will kill me. And so I was like, all right, fine, that's cool. And then we told the guy, we go, hey, listen, you really need to at least, because it was only for 100 bucks. And I tell him, listen, you got to know that if somebody knows what this is, they're going to they're gonna want to buy it like that. I said, at least double the price. And so he did. He doubled it to $200. But we're like, oh, we can't buy it. We got nowhere to put it. And so then we leave. We, on Saturday, Liz is looking on Facebook like we were almost going to call. She has these friends who own a shop, just mid-century shop. 
and, and so we were going to call them and so that they could come and get it and buy it and, and sell it for like quadruple the price. And we're on Saturday, she's looking at Facebook, and their photo, they have in their store that table and chairs. They went out there, bought it, quadrupled the price, and we're selling it. And I'm like, oh, we missed it. We should have gotten it while it lasted. We could have sold it and gotten a great deal on it. And that's the language that we see here. When Paul is talking about making the best use of the time, he says, get it while it lasts. The opportunities will be gone, so you better capitalize on it while you can. Redeem it. And there's other times that he says stuff like this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says this. He goes, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And when you read that, your, your first thought is that he's saying, okay, the days are evil. So you better be really careful where you step. You better be really careful and lock yourself away. Because if it's wise to not say anything, it's wise to not do anything, right? Like shut the door, lock it. We One time when I was a youth pastor, we went out to play uh, football, at somebody, tackle football at somebody's house, one of our sponsors. And it was awesome until we realized that we were playing football in a cow pasture. And so you like had to literally watch where you were stepping to make sure you weren't stepping in it. And it really was a big deal to get tackled, right? Because you were getting tackled right in the midst of it. But you had a goal in mind, and so you just powered through. Now you're, you're running the routes, the passing routes were like a little more flexible. But like you, you had a goal, and so you stuck with it, and you pushed through. And when we read this, the idea is, or the image is like, okay, the days are evil, I need to be wise, and I need to shut myself away. But did you see that he used the exact same language here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15? He's not saying shut yourself away. He's saying capitalize on the time. Pay attention and watch and see the opportunities, and then take them. Snap it up. Get it while it lasts. Wisdom is not passive. Wisdom is not passive. It's not even close to passive. It's not just like, okay, so if I, I'm wise if I don't speak. If I, if I keep my mouth shut, then that means that I'm wise. No, 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 no. Wisdom is not passive. It takes every opportunity. Wisdom Black Friday shops for opportunity. Snaps it up while it lasts. Now, I used to work retail. And uh, I don't know if anybody else in here has worked retail before. My first job when I first was 15 and a half and old enough to, shop, uh, to uh, get a job, I worked at a place called The Spot. It was a nasty, nasty, nasty driving like food place. And every day I would come home just covered in grease and for one week and then I quit. Um, and <laughs> the reason why I quit was on day number seven, I stuck my hand in the hot oil fryer. And that was a bad idea, not wise, right? So. I quit that job, and I went to first retail job that I ever worked, which was Sears, Roebuck, and Company. I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Sears, and I know what Black Fridays are like, my friends. I loved Black Fridays because I worked in the shoes department, and that meant that I was on commission. So Black Friday was the day that you wanted to work 
because like women would come in to get shoes and you're like, I'm sorry, this is my last one. And there's somebody who's just running to the bank to get some money and to come back and get this shoe. And so, and you have like 40 more of them in back and you just say that and, and they would always snap it up. It was, it was awesome. And um, I wasn't a believer at the time. I was also, by the way, I was also um, for a brief time was like the number one salesman in Wisconsin at Sears for signing people up for credit cards, which is why I guess we do Financial Peace University regularly as a church. It's kind of like my penance or something, because there are people all over Wisconsin who are in debt because of me. Anyways, uh, so here's the thing, though, about walking in wisdom toward outsiders. What it is not when we talk about Black Friday shopping, it is not trampling right? It's not like you trample people with the gospel. I loved working in shoes because it was commission and I was a great salesman, I guess, and yet there was one thing I hated, because this was the time when you didn't just bring somebody a set of shoes and they put them on themselves. No, this was the day when you would get down and you would put the shoes on for them, right? Which most of the time was totally cool, not a big deal. But every now and then, you'd have a woman who would come in who had this image of the perfect foot as a size eight and a half. And yet, they weren't an eight and a half. You know what I'm saying? Like, you look at it and you're like, you are related to Sasquatch. I mean, like, <laughs> you're an eight and a half sideways. You're like a 14 front to back, right? And you look at that foot, and you know there's no way that's getting in an eight and a half. But you smile, and you don't get a 14. You go get the eight and a half, and you bring it out with a big smile on your face. And you get down, and you try to get that foot into that shoe. And it doesn't fit. So you pull out the trusty shoehorn, and you stick that down in there, and you work it around, and eventually you get that foot into that shoe. You should not need a shoehorn to share the faith. You do not need to work it into every conversation, right? Hey, man, I love football, and we're talking about this team. You know, you should be on the team with God. <laughs> if you sharing your faith sounds like a cheesy pickup line, you're doing it wrong, okay? You do not need a shoehorn to share the faith. It's like foie gras. Foie gras. How many of you know what foie gras is? Those of us who are cultured know what foie gras is. How many of you have eaten foie gras? All right, for those of you who don't know what foie gras is, it is the fatty, buttery, textured liver of like a goose or a duck, right? Oh, so good. Or so I've been told. I've never had it. It's like a French delicacy. You know how they make foie gras? It's called gavage. For those of you who don't know how foie gras is made, what they do is they force feed the duck grain. They take a, a, a metal tube, stick it in its mouth, and they force feed it three times a day so much food that the, the liver actually expands in size until it's about six times the size of normal and begins to fill the entire chest cavity. It's called gavage. That's how you make foie gras. PETA is a huge fan. Huge fan. 
Foie gras is not salvation, and salvation is not foie gras, and you do not need to force feed people the gospel. What we do is we walk in wisdom. Wisdom means you're aware of what's happening in people's lives. Wisdom means that you know what's happening in the culture. And yes, 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 the days are evil, but we still are active in looking for opportunities and buying them up. It doesn't mean you trample people with the gospel. It means that every time you see an opportunity, you snap it up and you get it while it lasts. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And what I love about the idea of walking in wisdom is that is timeless. When Paul said walk in wisdom, that flexes with the time. It changes. What walking in wisdom looks like shifts. Every year, every day, it shifts. It's not the same right now that it was in the 1980s. And it is not the same right now as it will be 20 years from now. It shifts. Paul could have said, he could have given us a 10-part list of all of the things that it means to walk in wisdom. And all of them could have been very specific to the time. He could have told us, always make sure to leave your donkey to the left of the door. And we would look at that and be like, what in the world? And I would have to explain to you why you would always leave your donkey to the left of the door. But he doesn't do that. He says, walk in wisdom. And every day that might shift or flex with the time. So what does that look like today? What does it mean to walk in wisdom in 2018 in Springfield, Missouri? Well, let me tell you what I think it looks like. Because it's been the thing that I've been telling you for about four years now that it looks like. Something that we might have said in 2013 that it looked like. And now the rest of the church is catching up because we're like on the cutting edge. But legitimately, pastors who are better looking than me, who pastor much larger churches than me, are saying what I was saying in 2013, and that is this. The best tool for the gospel is hospitality. The best tool, the best weapon for sharing the gospel with your unsaved friends is hospitality. And it is growing in the church. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the voice of the Holy Spirit saying in 2018, here's how you can share the gospel. And it may not be the same in two decades. And it's not the same as it was in the 1980s. But right now we have an opportunity and it looks like hospitality. And here's why it works. Because everybody in our culture has this value of having great friends. And everybody gets together and every time you see an advertisement, there's a bunch of people who are laughing. And they're all sitting around a table and they're all having a great time. But nobody's life actually looks like that. So there's this desire for something, a cultural value, that lines up with what Scripture tells us to do. And we have an opportunity then to live it, to live it better than our culture does, and by that share the gospel. Now, hospitality is not like 
uh, a Martha Stewart or, or the pioneer woman or the Pinterest level. It's not your grandma's hospitality with half sandwiches and water chestnuts. It is like radical hospitality that takes the outsider and makes them an insider. How do you get somebody from outside to inside? Well, you open the door. Want to know what this hospitality looks like? It looks like Romans chapter 15, verse 7, which says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you just hear how were you welcomed by Christ? In that same way, welcome one another. That is not cheesy hospitality. That is a tool and a weapon for the gospel. And sometimes we outsource this to the church. And we say, oh yeah, this is for greeters at the front doors. Oh, welcome people as Christ welcomed you. We get great t-shirts. If you are not welcoming people into your home, you should not be wearing a t-shirt that says welcome home. If you are not bringing people into your real home, you cannot outsource this to the church. Because boy, I want people to be insiders. This verse is not for people at the door though, because that means they're coming inside. That, what does that make them? An insider. But we are supposed to walk in wisdom toward, we gotta go out toward outsiders. So this means getting together with people at coffee shops and over breakfast tables, and just meeting them right where they're at, being aware of what's happening in our culture. And here's the thing about our culture. If you don't know, our culture is no longer a Christian culture. It is a post-Christian culture, which means the things that worked to reach you 40 years ago or me 20 years ago do not work today. It doesn't. You tell people about, oh, Jesus came to forgive your sins. And they're like, what is sin? It doesn't work anymore. you got to meet them where they are, understand our culture. And, and quite honestly, there's been a big shift in our culture. It used to be that you had to go to church in order to meet certain political and social situations. Right? If you wanted to have a business, you needed to be in a church. That's not the way it works anymore. And quite honestly, I think that's a good thing. Because now people are real about where they actually stand before God. And so that's okay. We're in a post-Christian culture. Know that. The days are evil. Now, capitalize on every opportunity. Snap it up while it lasts. Because boy, it'll be gone before you know it. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. I'm convinced 100% that what this looks like today is hospitality. So if you join us at the conference on October 19th and 20th, we want to give you those practical tools. Session one will be based on this idea, practical tools of what this can look like today. This has been an insider message, and I get that. And if you're like, man, this is weird, like, 
that come to church for the very first time and they're talking about people like me. Um, I just want to say I'm sorry it was an insider message. This whole series is going to be insider messages because we believe this stuff is real. We believe Jesus Christ is the only way to God. We understand and know that in our lives we were welcomed by him. And the wisest thing you could do is to make that same decision today. I want to tell you a story. There was a a Roman centurion whose son was rebellious. And this Roman centurion decided because his son was rebellious, he was cutting him out of the will. Society's done. And so he had a servant whose name was Marcellus. And so he decided to call together his son and this servant who was a faithful servant and let them know, hey, boy, I'm cutting you out of my will. Because you've been so rebellious, I'm leaving everything to Marcellus. So he asked his son, but I will, because you're my son, give you one thing. He says, what do you want? And the son, in just a moment of wisdom, says, well, give me Marcellus. Is that not the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, each and every one of us, apart from Jesus, are far from him. And each and every one of us have broken every rule, every sin we've committed at. And yet, because of what Jesus Christ did, that if we just get Jesus, we've got it all. And that is the offer that is available for us today. So if you're listening, you're like, man, this is an insider message. It is, but guess what? Boy, Jesus Christ can change your life in a moment. In a moment. He is the only way to the Father. Romans 10.9 is very clear on this point. That if you want to be saved, you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now real quick. Paul said in the prayer right before this when he was laying out, here's how you should pray. He said... Pray that I have open doors for the gospel. Pray that I have opportunities for the gospel. So pray that I make it clear. But it all begins with the open door. Today, here's what I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the gospel makes you open your door. And that you provide opportunity for it. And that you are able to make it clear. And if you're in here and you would say, boy, none of this applies to me. Right now, there is an offer on the table for you. Jesus Christ died in order that your sins would be washed away, gone. And you could be right before God. But that only happens if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, and you can be saved. Available that is available for each and every one of us today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to do that very thing. I'm going to confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life, and I'm going to invite and ask you to do the exact same thing. Confess it. Speak it out. Say it. Believe in your heart that the scriptures are true of him, that God raised him from the dead, and you can be saved. Let's do that right now. Father, 
Oh God, I thank you for Jesus Christ who welcomed me in. God, I thank you for Jesus who welcomed me, that he came to me, that he came for me, and that he called me and said, come to me. Father, I understand today that offer is for each and every one of us. And right now, I just confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is Lord today. He is Lord of everything. He is Lord. I put behind me all that was in the past and I set before me Jesus Christ. He is Lord of my life. I believe that the scriptures are true today. I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And because of that, not only did he die for my sins, but now he is alive and he is on the throne that he is Lord today. Overall, over me, over my heart, over my mind. May that be the case in each and every one of our lives, I pray. And Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray that we would understand the calling to wisdom. That the calling to wisdom, that called, we are called to capture souls, to save souls, to share Jesus Christ. And Father, you've called us to a life on mission. May we each be called and confident in that today, I pray. And Lord, I just pray that we would have a burning and growing desire to enact it. And Lord, as we talk about and dig into what hospitality can look like and how this is a tool and a weapon for the gospel of Jesus Christ, may we recognize in our own need and our own heart the need to live that. May we literally open doors to make the outsider an insider in the name of Jesus. As we were welcomed by Christ, may we welcome one another for the glory of God. May we all carry that and feel that and sense that and know that. And then, oh God, may we live it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Today, if you need prayer for anything, this prayer and altar team are down here at the front in order to pray with you. And uh, they've committed themselves not just to pray during this time, but if you come forward and you ask for prayer for something they will pray for you not just now, but all through this week. And so in a moment, I'm going to dismiss uh, the church. And as I do that, instead of stepping out and heading out, maybe if you need prayer for something, step out and come down to the front. And they would just love, love, love to pray with you. If you're in here and you just committed your life to Christ, you just said he's Lord of my life for the very first time, today is an opportunity for you to kind of start that walk. And so instead of heading out today, would you just step out and come down to the front and pray with one of these uh, that are here to pray with you this morning so they can kind of show you those first couple steps of what it looks like to walk with Jesus Christ. If you are a guest here, make sure to stop out there and grab some cookies today. Uh, uh, swing back and, and uh, join us for pizza with the pastor. Thank you for joining us. Make sure to be back next week. We're going to be continuing this series. And if you haven't done it yet, sign up for the conference. If you need prayer for anything, step out and come down to the front, even as others are headed out this morning. God bless.